Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We have been looking through not only uh, the basics of the faith, but some of the basic statements of the Christian church and churches of Christ. Is this, by the way, is this too, are we okay on volume? Is it, we're good? Okay. Um, Thomas Campbell said, the church of Jesus Christ on earth is, is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one. Uh, he was one of the... Uh, we would call him one of the founders of the Restoration Movement. Uh, what does that mean? Well, one of the things that means is it's not just us. Uh, it was always, God's plan was always to have a church, not churches, not, not, now, not individual congregations. I don't mean, obviously there's going to be other congregations, but the plan wasn't to have Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Catholics and all the different denominations. Um, one of the one of the founders of the Restoration Movement was Barton Stone, and he emphasized that Christians in the New Testament are called Christians, and that uh, Christians should have unity. And the Campbells, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, uh, liked the word disciples. They liked that as a name, the disciples of Christ. And their emphasis was on biblical truth. And what I like about the Restoration Movement is that it took these two themes of Christian unity and biblical truth and, and welded them, merged them together, that that's the dual focus of what we call the Restoration Movement, the Christian churches and churches of Christ, that we are united in Christ biblically. We believe in unity of all believers, but not just any unity, but unity in biblical truth. Our goal is to be united, but to be united behind biblical truth. And that's one of the founding principles of the Restoration Movement. Now, today I want to talk about specifically the church, what it is, and where do we begin with a sermon about the church. Let me say that it's God's plan for his people. <clears throat> so when we start with the basics, we look back to the Old Testament, we see that God raised up this man, Abraham, and said, I will turn you into a people. The family of Abraham ended up in Egypt. They became the people of Israel. And so let's state the obvious. There was no church throughout the Old Testament. That wasn't, that wasn't what we see in the Old Testament and therefore wasn't what existed in the days of Jesus. Um, if you wanted to be right with God in the Old Testament, you joined Israel. Um, that... You became an Israelite. That was hard. Now, it wasn't impossible. We read that David had um, Philistine soldiers called Gittites, and we, read, we can read about how Ruth joined the people of Israel. We, we, we can read that people became Israelites. It wasn't always easy, but it, it could be done. Um, but the church that we mentioned, as we talked about last week, begins in Acts chapter 2 when God's Holy Spirit comes on everybody not just the prophets, not, 
not just the chosen of God, but, well, it is in the sense that the church is the chosen of God. And Jesus said that his Holy Spirit wouldn't come upon people unless Jesus died and left, and then the Spirit came on people, uh, his church. And that's when the church starts. And Acts chapter 2 lets us know that that was always the plan. It wasn't plan B. Joel had prophesied that at the coming of the day of the Lord, the Holy Spirit would come upon all people. That was always the intention. That Israel foreshadowed the church. The church wasn't plan B. But why did God raise up a church? And what are we supposed to do with it? We've got to be more than a social club, right? I mean, there are people that treat the church as nothing but a social club. But I think that we get that there's more to it than that. There needs to be more to it than that. I think if we're not careful, it's just a social club. And we want to make sure that we don't fall into that trap. God has bigger plans for his people. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us that we are not to forsake meeting together. Now, it's easy to think that the church then, even looking at that, if it's not a social club, well, it's for encouragement and teaching. And I would argue that it's for even more than that. And we'll look at that today. Let me be clear. I 100% believe that the church is essential for the Christian life. There are a lot of people that have, through the years, I remember back in college, oh, I can be a Christian just as, just as good at home as I can going to church. What do I need to go to church for? Well, you have missed the point if you believe that. Um, God's plan for his people is the church. And if you don't think you need to be a part of it, you're not going to like heaven, are you? Because that's just, that's just the church all, all reunited. We no longer have to meet in different buildings. Um, the church is God's plan for his people, and I want to show you why. So we're going to begin with our, uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right. So I want to break this down. There are only two times that Jesus uses the word church. Again, if it started in Acts chapter 2, started after his death, but it was always the plan. Jesus refers to it. He knows that it's coming. It is his plan. Um, but there's only two, two times that he refers to it. This is a very pivotal point, and it's a very pivotal statement. Peter, the, the name Peter means bedrock. Okay, we, you know, Peter, we say Peter means rock. There's two Greek words for rock, there's, and we've got two words. We have stone, that's the word lethos. We have Peter or Petros, and that's the word that I would, we could say rock, but rock has different meaning. It's kind of a generic word in English. I like the word bedrock. 
Peter isn't something that you could, the word Petros isn't something you can pick up like a stone. It's, it's bedrock. It's foundational. Um, so what's, Jesus says, that is foundational, Peter, what you just said. Now, what does that mean? What did he say? He said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we say when we baptize people. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And that, and that reason, the reason that we do this is that is the foundation of the church. That's the statement. That's it. There's no point in baptizing you if you don't believe that because that's, that's entry-level Christianity. That's kindergarten Christianity. That's Christianity one point, or, or 101. Um, that's the basics. There's no point in becoming, getting baptized, becoming a Christian, if you can't at least agree on that. That is the core foundation. And because of that core foundation, we have a church. And we have a central doctrine that we believe. There are a few churches that teach that it's not the statement that it's Peter, that Peter is the foundation of the church. I think that that's, frankly, ridiculous. Peter was just a guy, and he gets things wrong, and he gets things wrong after this. But that statement was hardcore. It, 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 was, it was right there. And, and this is before Jesus. This is why that's big. We get it. It's, it's, it's basic to us. But Jesus wasn't, hadn't died and been resurrected yet. For Peter to see that at this stage of the game is a big deal. You know, we, we get on Peter for a lot of things, denying Jesus three times, and Paul having to correct him later on for being a little bit exclusive. You know, we, we focus on the fact that he started to walk on water, but then he started to sink because of a lack of faith. But he took more steps than the other 11. And this is an example where uh, there's a reason that Peter kind of rises to a position of leadership and prominence among the apostles. He might have got some things wrong, but he got a lot right. And when he got it right, he got it really right. And this is one of those places. Um, this is the basics. We build from this. This is our foundation. Um, if you're not th- now, now here, if you're not there, we're still glad you're here at church. We want you to be here. <laughs> um, but, but at the same point, this is, this is the basics. And if you're not there, there's not a lot of point calling yourself a Christian if you can't agree with what Peter said. We still want you to come. We just want to get you to that point that you agree that that is the foundation of the church. This is our basics. Jesus institutes his church on this foundation. All right, turn with me now to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. Paul says, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, remember he's writing to the church in Rome, so to the Romans, and you, Romans, though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Well, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you 
provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, well, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I want to emphasize again, there is a danger, in, and I see this, this bad theology, that the church is plan B. I want to emphasize again that God is, he, he is the same. He knows the future, of course he does. Uh, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. The plan was always the church. He didn't, he didn't change his mind and say, well, Israel's not working out. Let's, let's, uh, let's make a plan. Let's try something different. You know, some people teach, likewise, I see, and I see this a lot these days. Uh, the concept of Zionism is in the news a lot. And I just want to say that the Bible is very clear that there is one way to get to heaven. After the coming of Christ, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father through him. Some bad theology is, well, you can be Jewish or you can be Christian. Um, uh, by faith, we're all called to be Christian, regardless of our national heritage. Um, Jews are called to follow Jesus just as much as we are. Um, that idea that you can, be, you can follow the Jewish faith or you can follow the Christian faith and both will get you to the same place would indicate that the church is a plan B. But, the, but that's not true, biblically. Um, and Paul is super clear here that those who don't follow Christ have been cut off from the tree. They can come back. They can be grafted back in when they follow Jesus. That's the plan. Um, God has one plan. Now, if you want to say that the plan had two phases, might have more than two. Uh, and I say that because before there was an Israel, you had people like Melchizedek and Abraham that followed God, Noah. Um, so, you know, you've got I get the pre-Israel part of the phase, and then you've got Israel with first the tabernacle and then the temple, and that was in the Levites serving as priests, and you have that aspect of the phase. And now we have the church. So you want to say there's different phases to, the, to God's salvation plan? Sure, I mean, that's just history. But there's only the one plan. Um, we didn't get the church because, because Israel failed. Um, uh, under the old covenant, God was building up his followers. And under the old covenant, it was a, it was a physical people. God did things more physically in the old covenant because physic, physical things are easy to picture. Um, God's people were related physically. They, they, they were they, blood relations, um, but it was literal blood. These days we're blood relations, blood, but it's the blood of Christ, right? And so we are still blood relations as the church. But, but it has more of a, of, of a supernatural sense to it, a spiritual sense to it. Um, in the Old Testament, Israel occupied a physical land. In the New Testament, the church is instituted, and we follow spiritual rules, and we're part of a spiritual kingdom. Now, we can look to all—the Old Testament is wonderful for the imagery that helps us picture it and talk about it more easily, and I'm so glad that we have it. But um, that, that part of the plan was always to prepare the church to be formed, where the physical examples were, were, were foreshadowing a spiritual truth. This is the reason— why we look to the examples of the Old Testament so much, 
We have been grant, granted, grafted, <laughs> forgive me, we've been grafted in. Um, we have been, we, we have not taken over in the sense that, you know, they messed up and we took over. Um, but it's just the next aspect of God's plan of salvation. We have to remember that the church was always the plan, the only plan, God's plan. Not about us. It's not about being part of a bigger it's about being part of a bigger picture. It's about being a part of God's flow of history. As we talked about this morning in my Sunday school class, uh, we were looking at First Samuel and the point when the ark gets captured by the Philistines. The Israelites thought, we'll take the ark of God, we'll, we'll carry it into battle, and God will let us win because we're dragging him into, into battle. And uh, as, as one of my girls got correctly, I, I said, why do you think God allowed the Israelites to lose that battle? And I appreciated one of the girls said, probably to teach him a lesson. Yeah, you can't drag God wherever you want to go. The goal isn't to drag God with us. We're called to be with him. And, and so when we talk about where the church is, the goal of Israel was to be with God. And the goal of the church is to be with God. All right, so look, look at First Peter chapter 2 then. Let's build on this. First Peter chapter two verse four. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So who are we as a people? Well, we're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. To be set apart to God, to belong to him. We are his hands his mouths, his feet. He's called us away from sin and called us to be godly, which we can't do on our own, but because he gives us the example of Jesus Christ and then fills us with his spirit. And so we can be holy because we can't do that. Holy is a scary word. It's terribly intimidating, partly because we feel that we need to be there. You know, if we're going to do it, we get it done. And the fact is that holiness is a process of being transformed into his image. It doesn't happen overnight. Faith is a long walk of obedience following the Christ. 
Um, we are, we're in it for the long haul. What, we, we are called to be different. Some, some translations use the word peculiar. Um, yeah, that, that word sometimes comes with negative connotation in, in, in English in the year 2024. Um, but it's a fair word. We should be peculiar to the world. They should scratch their heads and, and think we're a little odd. Because compared to the world, we are. We're, we're called to belong to God and not the world. And that's hard. Because the world is terribly distracting. The world, Satan as the prince of this world, wants us to be worldly. And there are an awful lot of people that call themselves Christians whose goal is to keep up with the world. And our goal is to love the world, but be set apart and call for that truth. We want to be united, but not with the world, with the word of God. And, and we want to love, and I think, and I believe, I believe that we can be loving and speak the truth. Um, Somebody, a friend of mine posted on social media yesterday about, you know, all God cares about is not the people that are doing X and Y and Z on the street. He just wants you to love them. I think that's a cowardly answer. I'm going to be honest. I do think he wants us to love them, but he, also, but he doesn't want us to hide the truth. Now, I think that we can share the truth in not in a, in a cruel and condemning and, and, a, and a derogatory way where we turn them off, but I think the idea that, all we, all, that our only job is to love people and nothing else doesn't remotely match the, the message of holiness in the Bible. We are called to set an example of holiness and to talk about it and not to bash people over our heads with the Bible every time we see them. They should always know that we love them, but there shouldn't be any doubt in their mind what we believe. And as God calls them to follow him, when we get those opportunities, we share what biblical truth is, and we can do it lovingly. Um, why does God raise us up to be his people? Why does he invite us to share eternity in glory with him? You know, we've talked about this. And, and, and the reason God calls us is because he is loving. He loves us. He, he does want us to love others. Um, he is holy. He hates sin. That's what holiness means. That it, this idea that God doesn't care about sin, and I've heard, you've heard televangelists talk about, oh, we don't talk about sin anymore. That's not the message for the modern world. It is. If ever, if ever we needed it, we need that now. He calls us out of sin and to his side. I think the cross shows both. I think the cross shows God's love of humanity and his hatred of sin. Why die on the cross to free us from sin if God didn't hate sin? He is holy and he is loving. As God's people, we are called to draw close to him and abandon sin to be his holy people and set that example for a world that needs to see it. Okay, so we move on. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, uh, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what's the purpose of the church? Well, Paul compares the relationship between Jesus and his church to the relationship between a husband and a wife. He compares it to a marriage. Now, let me get a few things straight about this passage, okay? Um, First off, we open with, a lot of people start in verse 22. I started in verse 21 where it begins because we're talking about the church and relationship with each other, and Paul tells the whole church to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, we have made submission into this really terrible word. I've used the example before that, you know, if I'm speeding, in my younger days that was a common thing, and when the cops would pull me over, uh, yeah, I pulled over. I submitted to the cops. Are they better than me? Not my experience. They're, they're people just like I am, but they have a position that I'm going to respect. And not that they're loved better by the government or loved better by God. They're not better people. Just in that position that they've been given, when they're driving, and I'm driving, and when they turn their lights on, I have a job, and my job is to pull over. Um, you, usually because when I was in my younger days, because I was speeding. Um, and, and that's just the job. And it, and it doesn't mean that police are better people than I am. Um, I've gone to church with police officers, and in the church, as the preacher, usually a lot of times that uh, if a police officer was then in, in a more submissive role to the preacher and spiritual matters. But in driving matters, that was a different story in, entirely. Um, uh, submit to one another as God created us. It's not about who's better. Let's be very clear on that. The language here... now. Christ is better than me. When we talk about the church submits to Christ, that is an example. But we take the analogy, I think, sometimes too far. I don't want to talk about the marriage thing now. That's a different, that's a different subject for a different date. I do want to say this. This is biblical. I believe that the Bible is the word of God. I've talked extensively about this. If you have a problem with this passage, it's not a problem with my teaching or my preaching. It's a problem with what the Bible says. Um, and, and that's a different subject. Um, Uh, It's not my job to argue whether or not this is part of the Bible. Um, I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't say this, because that would be tickling your ears and hiding the truth, and that's not our our goal. I'm not going to rewrite the text to make it say something that it doesn't. Um, I also want to say the point today is not today's, you know, Paul says, but I'm talking about the church. Um, That's what we're talking about today. And... And my question is, do we want to even do that in the church? And you would think, obviously, the church wants to submit to Christ, but I think it's a fair question. I'm not sure how many churches or Christians today really want to submit to the will of God. Again, the current trend is to modernize. I know that this is what the Bible says, but it's a modern world and things have changed, and the church just needs to get with the times And when we do that, we say that the church needs to submit to culture, which is a horrifying thought, because culture gets things really, really wrong. Um, 
Way too many churches want the Bible to submit to their modern outlook. Um, you know, there are two causes for error in the church. I think one is spiritual neglect, scriptural neglect, failure to read the Bible. I think churches, I think when we don't ground ourselves in the Bible sufficiently, we're going to get off. I just absolutely 100% believe that. And then I think the second thing is superseding authority and people declaring where the Bible doesn't declare. And I would make the argument, I, I, do, I do think that the Restoration Movement is the most biblical of churches. I wouldn't be preaching in it if I didn't believe that. And I think that one of the things that keeps the Restoration Movement um, biblical is that we have a plurality of elders, one guy doesn't call the shots, and in particular in denominations, generally um, the different churches answer to a board that answers to directors that answer. Most denominations have one person at the top that sets the agenda. And I think that that's a very dangerous thing in the long term. And I think that most of the mistakes that denominations have made through the years have come from one person getting it wrong, and everybody kind of falls in line after that, whereas what we see biblically is a plurality of elders at a congregational level that examine the word, and the goal is to be biblical, and that's it. And it's not about individual egos, and therefore we don't read about the names of a whole lot of elders in the Bible because the point was not their identity or their agenda, but just to follow the word of God. Um, our purpose is to submit to Christ. That's it. That's our job, and we have to ask, are we submissive to what God has told us? Or do we want to tweak it and change it to match what we're already doing? Um, the next couple of passages I want to look at are both in the book of Acts. Um, the entirety of the book of Acts is the story of the church. If you want to know about the church, we read the book of Acts. And so what can I say to sum up Acts? Um, and I think I would say that's not my job. Is, is to sum it up necessarily, to read it for you. Um, it's not my job to read, read the Bible for you. Nothing, nothing in this life that is valuable comes easy. You have to work for things. Um, if you want to be in shape, you're going to have to work at it. It doesn't come easy. If you want money, you're going to have to go out and get a job and, and, and probably do some hustle. I don't, the good-paying jobs take work. They take work to get there. Um, if you want to be educated, you've got to do the homework. Um, I've been building some bookshelves for the past know, year and a half. That's a lot of work. Um, that, doesn't come, that doesn't come easy. There are, there, are, there are days I go to the wood shop and there are, there are evenings I'm staining and polyurethaning and all that. It doesn't come easy. Um, but I want those shelves and so I'm willing to put the work into it. If you want to know God's will for you, it's harder than just listening to a preacher once a week for a half hour. You're going to have to put in the work. You're going to have to read your Bible. You're going to have to do the study time. Now, that said, I think that my job is to give you the tools to, to help you, to help you get the tools that you need to make it go a little smoother, to make sure that you're not going off down the right. Same, when I go to the wood shop, uh, Mike over at the wood shop, make sure that if I don't know how to use a tool, I know how to use it. If I have trouble, you know, I miscut this board, is there a way to save it? You know, Mike is around for that, and I appreciate that that's what the church is supposed to do. Uh, the preacher, the elders, the teachers, we're there to make sure that if things go wrong, uh, you have what you need to get back on track, and we want to give you guidance. Um, uh, but you're supposed to do the work. It'd be like, imagine visiting a doctor, and the doctor says, this is what's wrong with you, and this is the medicine that you need 
to get better, and then going home and saying, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Why, why see the doctor? Why, why, what, what's the purpose of getting expert advice if you don't follow it? And I do think that the church, you know, we're blessed to have elders, deacons, teachers. We're blessed to have people here that have put in the work and study and can help guide us. Um, maturity, and, it's, and it behooves us uh, to pay attention to it. So with that said, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So a couple of things that we see out here. Number one, um, they spread the message of Christ, and they took care of each other. I think that's a great job description for what the church should do. Um, Now, to be clear, this is not an excuse for government socialism. Whether you like it or hate it is not my job as a preacher to say, but they didn't take care of all of Jerusalem. They just took care of each other because the church is like a family. And as the family of God, that family should look out for each other. I I believe that. Um, uh, They shared the gospel with everybody, obviously with those outside of the family, because the family were those who knew the gospel. Those outside of the gospel, they shared the gospel with. And then they helped take care of those who were within the family. Um, I'm absolutely all in favor of, of giving to the poor. I think, I think compassion is important. I think it's hard to witness to people who are too busy trying to figure out where the next meal is going to come from that they don't care about the gospel. And I think that we can help people that way. Um, but the job of the church is not to feed all the poor. The job of the church is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and evangelize. Second passage in Acts I want to look at, Acts chapter 11. Verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Well, the Lord's hands was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's where we see both the phrase disciples and Christians. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
All right, so this is where the church spreads outside of Israel, um, which is a new thing, and it's a big thing, because it was really a Jewish offshoot up to this point. Uh, and it's where we get the name Christian, which is my favorite name. Disciples is good, the way is good, but I like the word Christians, because it means follower of Christ. Um, and again, I think we see love expressed selflessly in giving. You know, God loves the world. And he wants to love the world through us, and he expects his people to love the world for him. It is essential that the church not be selfish and insulated, but share the gospel and share God's love. All right, final passage to look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, for her, uh, uh, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is what is to come. This is the good news. We've read that the church is the bride of Christ. Imagery that the Bible upholds throughout the New Testament. Um, We are being made perfect. That's really what I think the bulk of the book of Revelation is about. I think the main message is that Christians are being prepared for a life of eternity with Christ. We go through difficult times to get there. Um, but those difficult times help, as Peter says, refine us. Um, don't lose sight of the church amid the poetic language of dragons and horsemen of the apocalypse and in Revelation. I think it's a book about the perfection of God's people. The destiny of the church is to draw close to God fully and finally in the end to be made perfect. So why do we come to church? I think it's to be made perfect. I think we know that we were made for better than this. I I think it's distressing and depressing to think that this is all there is. We look around the world and it seems to be falling apart, not getting better. Uh, And that would be depressing if that was the end of it. Um, We were made in the image of God, and we know that it's broken, that we're not as we should be, and we long for something better. And we're frustrated that this is it, but it's not it. And, And we're in the right place because this is where we are made perfect for eternity with God. The perfection of God's people doesn't happen overnight. It's not, I get frustrated, it doesn't happen fast enough. I'm still sin, I, I still commit sins, I'm sinful in that regard. Um, I'm, I'm not as bad as I was, but God is still perfecting me and, and getting rid of the sin out of my life. Um, I, don't, I don't like it when I'm, and I don't want to, mess up sounds like I made a mistake. Sin is deliberate, and I hate that I still do that. Um, I, hate, I hate that that temptation is still there. But God forgives me, and he's making me perfect. It is happening. I am being perfected. Um, Bit by bit, I am becoming more Christ-like. I just have to hang in there until the end. We all do. We hang in there. We allow God's Spirit to transform us. When the going gets tough, we we stick it out. We stay with God. We have good days. We have bad days. But the good days, bit by bit, outnumber the bad days. And and every year that we walk with Christ, we'll be more Christ-like than the year before. When Satan distracts us with all his evil schemes... We grit our teeth, we dig in, and we say we're with God. And that's, 
That's what it means to be made perfected, or, or to be made perfect, to be perfected into the image of Christ. That's what the job of the church is. Our hymn of decision is hymn number 336. Have you come to accept Christ, to accept a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, as, as taught by the church? If you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, let's talk after church. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.